want to do more than follow orders, think outside of the box, and manifest your dreams, then you've come to the right show. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a gold star daughter, veteran spouse, and entrepreneur. For season seven, I am ecstatic to be in partnership with the Rosie Network to highlight motivational stories of personal growth, financial awareness, and autonomy in our military community. Now, let's get started. All right. Welcome back to another episode here at Holding on the Forts by U.S. Vet Wealth. I got a question for you all. Have you ever relocated to a new place and yearned for someone to help you uncover the hidden gems of your new community? Well, if you're new in D.C., the founder and owner of Don, the tour guide, Don Bryant, is at your service. So I was so fortunate to not only speak with Dawn, but actually get a private tour from her when I visited D.C. in mid-September. I'll talk a little bit more about that in the outro. Dawn Bryant talks about her experiences as an active duty military spouse. She is a certified professional tour guide and a 2020 Services CEO graduate of the Rosie Network. Dawn started her tour guide business during the 2020 global pandemic fun. Could you imagine that? Just take a minute to imagine that. Starting a tour guide business during the pandemic when people were either supposed to be at home or had to practice social distancing. Just imagine what a private tour would look like. It's awesome. Very impressive. After her original tour guide job was canceled, she saw an opportunity to offer tours to military families who were new to the area and unable to explore due to the lockdown. She believes that her life experiences, such as homeschooling her son and traveling due to the military, had prepared her for a career in tour guiding. As a certified professional tour guide, she emphasizes the importance of interpreting history for her tour guest and putting the human element back into stories. She encourages listeners to think outside of the box, which is something we love doing here for season seven of Holding on the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth, think outside of the box for career opportunities, and she shares the benefits of the tour guide industry for military spouses. If you want to get a hold of Dawn, the tour guide, go ahead and check out the show notes of this episode. The way to do that on your mobile device is to just tap on the episode you're already listening to, and it should be able to expand and show the description. And in the description, you'll get all the links to get a hold of Dawn. You can also visit our website, holdingdownthefortpodcast.com, and do a search in the search bar 155. That's episode 155 for Dawn. And you'll be able to get all of our contact information and additional content and access to our private portal in which... By the time this episode comes out, I will likely give a commentary of my experience having been toured, having received a private tour by Dawn. So yes, I'll talk a little bit more about that in the outro of this conversation. Until then, until then, this is an ad-free conversation. Thanks to our sponsor here at US Bet Wealth. 
U.S. Bet Wealth is all about offering financial services for military families. You could actually see it on my window right here, financial services for military retirees. Our company website is usbetwealth.com. That's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. And my company is the reason why we have a podcast portal for anyone that's looking to get access to bonus content from this conversation. So thank you to my company. Thank you to my husband. Thank you to my team. It's been an absolute pleasure having had your support in the four years that this show has existed. And I want to give a quick shout out to the Rosie Network, which is all about empowering our military connected individuals on entrepreneurship. Like I mentioned, Don was a cohort member of their service to CEO program, and you'll hear all about it in our conversation today. And so there you have it. All right. Last thing I want to share with all of you before we officially get started is I want to give you the heads up and I'll talk about this more in the outro. I want to give you the heads up and I want to ask for your grace and understanding because as a podcaster, you try really hard to have the perfect recording setup. Okay. I mean, look at me, look at me with this microphone and this angle to have my logo behind me. If you're watching via video, which is available on our YouTube channel, by the way. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And this is why I want to tell you all about it in our free podcast portal, which you can have access to by checking out the show notes of this episode or visiting holdingonthefortpodcast.com. Long story short, let me cut to the chase. Don's audio quality is amazing. And I hope that it is so amazing that my audio quality will not be as distracting. I do want to give a shout out to my editor, Dennis, my amazing editor, who has done an incredible job making my audio quality sound as clear as possible. And so that being said, I hope that you can give me grace with my audio quality in this episode. And more importantly, I hope that you focus on Dawn's story. And I will talk a little bit more about that in the outro. So heads up, get ready. (laughs) And thank you in advance for your understanding. And I truly, truly hope that you do, either way, get a ton of value and inspiration and motivation from Don's story. With that said, enjoy. All right. And with that said, we have Don Bryant on our show. Don, welcome to season seven of Holding on the Fort podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yes. And I thought I would start with a fun icebreaker. Just a way to warm us up to the conversation today. So I have like a bunch of questions here and I'm just going to shuffle through them and you tell me when to stop and then I will pull out a question for you. All right. (laughs) Stop. Okay. I'm going to go with this one. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Here's a fun one for you. What does your phone wallpaper tell people about you? (laughs) (laughs) My phone wallpaper tells people that we befriended our backyard squirrels during COVID. Okay. (laughs) So during the stay-at-home orders here in the D.C. area, which lasted forever. Yeah. We don't have any pets. My husband has a lot of allergies, but we hung out in our backyard a lot and we got to know our squirrels. And so my wallpaper right now is a squirrel that we had named Junior. Oh my goodness. I love that. This is like your version of like having feral cats that like come to your backyard and you have like a water bowl available, but instead it's squirrels. This is great. A hundred percent. And we still, we have like generational squirrels now. And when we leave the house, we have to like put nuts on the back fence or they jump up on the fence when we're leaving and stare at us like we're negligent. 
oh my gosh it's like they know you that's amazing they recognize our voices they'll come running it's weird but it's true don this is the first time i've heard anyone talk about having like squirrels as kind of pets you know and obviously they can take care of themselves but like oh but they feed us they give us nuts it's amazing right yeah there's only a handful of them that really know us but the ones that know us they they seriously know us yeah, and they bring their little families now. Like we don't now. pet them or anything. I want to be clear. Like, we don't carry them around. <laughs> we don't have, like, those bubble backpacks where we, like, take our squirrel to the grocery store. <laughs> they literally just run up to us and we throw them pecans or whatever. And maybe they'll sit on the table and eat it next to us. And, yeah. That's amazing. That I mean, I feel like there should be a whole... I don't know, podcast show about like everyone's COVID experiences and like all the things they never thought they'd do. And I think having pet squirrels is one of them for sure. Yeah. And that's when I, I don't know if you can really see it here, but that's also when I first started making my hair kind of purple, actually it was really purple during COVID. Now it's just a little bit lavender, but that was another, actually COVID just turned me into the lover (laughs) of the color purple, which was not a thing with me before. We're all different in our own way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that fun story and, you know, giving us a a peek into what is on your phone wallpaper. And I, you know, I thought I would have heard, oh, like my pet dog or my child or something. But no, you got you got Junior the squirrel. (laughs) I do. And um, that was just really that was my own fault for picking that card. Now everyone knows maybe a little more about me than they should. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure some people are going to reach out and say, hey, you know, during COVID, I made a pet raccoon in my backyard. And <laughs> you never Maybe know. So. You might have Maybe some interesting so. people reaching out to you um, after this episode comes out. But um, that being said, on thank you for doing that warm up icebreaker question with me. Um, it's a great, great way to just, you know, ease into our conversation today. And I'm really intrigued to talk to you about what you do in the tour guide industry. Like you are the first person I'm meeting who really wants to educate military spouses on the tour guide industry because it's mobile and um, you can kind of dictate your schedule and all the things. And we'll dive into that later. I'm already like spoiling the story here. But let's talk a little bit about kind of like your former life before you became a tour guide, a licensed official tour guide. Sure. I know that for you, you kind of naturally got into it. It wasn't like you just you woke up one day and you decided to be a tour guide. You naturally yeah. got into it as early as a teenager. Right. Yeah. I mean, now in reflection, I feel like I've sort of been building up to this for my whole life. Not that you have to be doing that. But one of my best friends was an accountant and became a tour guide. And he's one of the best tour guides I know. So everybody's story is different. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I was a camp counselor as a teenager. And it just sort of I've never really stopped both educating and leading in different kinds of capacities. I uh, was a preschool teacher after I got a degree in human development from UC Davis. I was or actually during and after I taught preschool. Then I moved into municipal recreation. So, you know, city government programs. And at that point, instead of being the camp counselor, I was running the camps from an administrative point of view. I was, you know, helping orchestrate the city's Fourth of July celebrations. I was overseeing the staff that ran the swimming pool, you know, all those kinds of things. And then I moved into the nonprofit world from there and continued to be sort of in the human services area of nonprofits until I became a military spouse and did my first PCS, at which point I was out of the workforce for 15 years Mm, and ended up sort of accidentally homeschooling our son. We have one son and We moved in January one year across country from California to North Carolina. 
and it took forever and everything was just kind of discombobulated and our son was going to be a lot older than other kids in his class. So we thought, well, okay, we'll just homeschool him for this semester that before school starts again in the fall. And then if we hate homeschooling or if I'm terrible at it or, you know, I can't stand being around him, (laughs) we'll just put him back in first grade in the fall, you know, and then he'll be one of the older kids and nobody will know the difference. But instead, we found that it was such a beautiful gift for our military lifestyle was during a time when my husband was going back and forth overseas a lot every few months. He would leave and then he'd be gone for a few months and he'd come back and So we could just take family vacation whenever he was home. And we started traveling a lot and we started going on a lot of tours. And then as homeschoolers, we did that. And so I started to develop this story in the back of my mind where I would go on these tours and I would, you know, go someplace that I didn't think I was particularly interested in, but it was what we were studying or whatever. And all of a sudden, a tour guide would just bring it to life for me. And I would think, wow, I never thought I would care about this, but I do. And then conversely, there were times when I went someplace that I was really excited to go and I found the experience to be disappointing. And then I was a little like, I'm like, well, I never have to come back here again. And that was when I realized what a difference the person who shares a place with you and interprets it for you and helps you understand the symbolism and the story behind the story really matters. So I think I had that dialogue in the back of my head. And of course, every time we moved, family, friends would come visit and I was always learning about our new community because I found that as the sooner I had a sense of place, the sooner I understood where I was sitting in the world, the sooner I felt connected to that place and at home. And so I kind of was a quasi tour guide for a long time, especially when we were in Germany, showing folks around. So all of that, you know, kind of came to a burst of, uh, I don't know, moving forward when I was working in a little shop uh, just for something to do. And I was talking to a shopper and she said, oh, yeah, I'm a tour guide. I went to professional tour guide training. And I was like, that's a thing. (laughs) And from there, I signed up for the training. And that was in 2019. And I've been working ever since really even through COVID, which is part of the story of how I became an entrepreneur accidentally. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. In the past, when I had talked to, let's say, military spouses, like they'll get into, let's say, professional organizing, because every time you move, like, you got to organize anyway. And so that, you know, that became a business of their own. And then other stories I would hear is, you know, the moment you get settled somewhere, it's all about like learning about your local resources and all the things. And for you, I liked how it was like, let me learn about the history of this area. Let me learn about the culture. So it makes me, you know, feel at home. And that just kind of became this natural passion for you. And like you said, whenever people would visit, you can show them around and you genuinely could. You know, I I know for me, like if my friends and family, like, in fact, I've had friends and family visit me here in Norfolk, Virginia. And I'm like, honestly, I can't really tell you about the area because all I do is go to my office and the gym. But that's kind of it. And my church, like I cannot give you the history. I mean, I know the library down the corner has like a mini museum. You can go there. But I love that you're able to, you know, tell the history of a certain area (laughs) to your friends and family. Like, you know, through your lens, which I think is the most interesting thing. I think the most interesting stories are told through the lens of a a certain perspective. And for you, it's, you know, that being of a military spouse and being new to the area and wanting to eat it up and feel at home as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was really one of the things that I'd learned about myself because I had lived in California in the central area of California forever until my first military move. I traveled, you know, I was really lucky. I feel like I have like bunny ears. I'm going to try to move a little bit. <laughs> yeah, my plant is, there you go. <laughs> um, I just noticed that when you pointed it out. By yeah, the way. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's going on here? So anyway, it wasn't until my first military move that I, you know, had to kind of figure out how to feel connected quickly 
And we all do that in our own way. I mean, that is, I think, a standard behavior of every military spouse is we all figure that out. Some people, you know, immediately find a church. Some people immediately find a job. You know, there's all kinds of things that you can do. And for me, it was always just sort of learning about the area. And it's incredible. It just opened the world up to me. And honestly, being from California originally, the California history is so incredibly different than the history here on the East Coast. And so it was a whole new world. Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit because I'm also a Cali girl like you. And it's funny because my husband, he's from the Midwest and he went to West Point. So a lot of his studies there was all about American history, world history, you know, national news, worldwide news. And so when he met me, you know, Cali girl here in San Diego, California, with my what he calls his quote unquote California education and quote unquote, if you Uh guys are listening to the (laughs) podcast, that's what he called it. And so it was just funny, like the conversations we would have, because I had certain beliefs, I had certain assumptions, perceptions, but it was when I moved to the East Coast that I actually understood him better. And I realized how little I knew about American history in general. And what I love about being in the East Coast is that you just walk into history, you just run into it wherever you are. Like one of the first places we stayed was Richmond. And just learning about the Civil War, it's just you just find it everywhere you walk, you know. (laughs) And so I can relate to you in a sense where, you know, you coming from California or Central California and then coming to the East Coast. And and let's talk about that. Like, where was it in the East Coast when you saw history in your face and that kind of like opened up something for you? Absolutely. So it really wasn't that first move to North Carolina because I was just so overwhelmed at that point. You know, I was learning to homeschool. It was really the first time that I was dealing with my husband being gone for extended periods of time. Our son was young. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just keeping my head above water, trying to keep the house from burning down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then after three years in North Carolina, we moved to Rhode Island. My husband's in the Army, but he went to the sister school up there for, so he went to the Navy War, Naval War College. And it's interesting. My maiden name is Pease, P-E-A-S-E. I knew nobody else with that last name. Kind of hated it, to be honest with you. And we're walking down the street in Newport after we got moved into our place. And I see this little house, this little blue colonial house. And it says, Simon P's house. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You know? And so that just sparked this interest in me because to your point, you know, my history education, and I don't know if this is just exclusive to California. I kind of, since I work with a lot of students, I feel like maybe it's not. I think they've gotten better at teaching history, but I still think history is taught in such a boring, yeah, like, yeah factual kind of way without a lot of context. And more importantly, they don't talk about why all this stuff matters to us today. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you need to know this? How did it change the world that you live in? Nobody talks about that. Well, I shouldn't say that. Nobody talked about that when I was in school. Nobody told me why I should care about the Civil War. All they did was tell me, you know, it happened. Yeah, it happened. It's like they took the story out of history. You know, it just became like facts and figures. I I tell my students that when I was in school, like I was taught that that the revolution happened and then nothing happened. And then the Civil War (laughs) happened and then nothing happened. You know, but that's not true. Like, you know, Eliza Hamilton and Abraham Lincoln, they met each other. Mm. And those kinds of things just blow my mind. Like nobody told me that. I didn't realize even that they were real flawed incredible, brave people. Like nobody told me any of those things. So the Simon Pease house got me interested. And from there, I uh, I just started to research and I realized that the Pease family was huge on the East Coast. Hmm. And there were Pease's buried in the cemetery in Newport. And part of the Pease family founded Martha's Vineyard. I mean, it just went on and on. So probably I really came into it from a very like a personal curiosity 
And then you start learning about, you know, your ancestors who were in the revolution. And then that makes you marched in the revolution. And, and so it just sort of snowballed from there. And then when we went back to North Carolina after our time in Rhode Island, I was like, OK, now I need to figure out like the history of North Carolina and, and those connections. And so we spent four more years in North Carolina after that. And those next four years, we did everything we could in North Carolina. My father-in-law is in South Carolina. So, yeah, we were just all over the place. So it was really that moment, I think, when I walked past that little blue Simon Peace house and I was like, what is this, you know? And then it just opened up this whole new world. Yeah, I love that. I remember a friend said to me a long time ago that if you don't know your place in history, then you'll never understand it. Like, it'll just be kind of walking by, like, I don't know, billboard and not even care to, to read it or relate to it because yeah. like you don't know how you could relate to it. So history is very much like that. And so I like that in a way what you're doing as a tour guide is, as I was saying a little earlier, like kind of putting the story back in uh, history, you know, through your interpretation. Yeah. And I really consider myself a storyteller. You know, I mean, I try to my stories are factual. Occasionally I learn that they're not, you know, because there's new discoveries in history all the time. And there's a lot of fables out there. I'll sometimes say things like, you know, I'm 80% sure this story is 90% true. <laughs> um, because, you know, I mean, it's just hard to say exactly. But I think that's what we're all interested in. That's why we watch television. That's why we read books. That's why we, you know, talk about people. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's because we're interested in human stories and every single story in history has a human story behind it. And, you know, my husband's an Intel guy and in Intel, there's this idea that there's got to be a so what if you're going to share a piece of information, there's got to be a so what behind it. And I kind of try to take that into tour guiding. It's like I could tell you who the architect of the Capitol is, but so what? Like, what are you an architecture student? Does the guy have a great story or is that just extraneous information? Yeah. Absolutely. It's all very interesting stuff. And it just kind of reminds me of what I want to do in my downtime and to go to the local museums here. I mean, recently we went to the, not recently, but a couple months ago, we went to the MacArthur Museum here in Norfolk, Virginia, because he, he was born here. And so they decided to bury his body here. And it didn't really connect. I mean, I was, I was very interested in it. One, because part of my cultural heritage is my family's from the Philippines. And so he went to the Philippines at one point. And then also okay. he's a fellow West Point grad like my husband. And so we kind of it was kind of cool to go in there and try to find that connection. And I, I think that's like what you said. I really like how you said human history, like just knowing like how history is told by people, I think. And right. And to learn like, you know, and I think I've also heard that history is a collection of stories. And so to right. just know, like, you know, how do I relate to the story? How does the story relate to me today? And why does it matter even today when they say stuff like if you don't know your history, you know yourself like all the things like there's so much to it and then the layers of it of like the interpretations of it i think just continues to be so fascinating and to not to always take things at face value i think and so yeah so yeah it's all very interesting is, is what i'm saying <laughs> it is and there's a lot of you know the language around history changes too it's weird because you would think it would be completely stagnant but it's actually has a way of evolving. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, allude to the idea of changing history, which I know can be a really sensitive thing. And I'm not a fan of that at all. I always talk about how history is the story of and, you know, this person did this and this person did that. And this thing with that they did was amazing. And this thing we might look at and be kind of like, Ick, you know, but that's how we all are. You know, one of my things is I'm like the product of every good decision I've ever made and every bad decision I've ever made everything good that's ever happened to me and everything bad that's ever happened to me. And, and countries are like that. People are like that. Everybody's like that. And so 
But the way we learn to talk about these things and the way we learn to convey these messages, it evolves. And it's so it's fascinating and it doesn't get old because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, I would get lost in just hearing all the things that you know, like you are a wealth of knowledge, I'm sure. Um, but you to, should come up. I know, but for the sake of time, right? Actually, I am going to DC in September, so I might, I might hit you up. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who's co- actually funny enough. I have a friend who's coming from California with her California okay. education, quote unquote. I say that jokingly, and she wants to go to DC in September. So yes, I will keep tabs on this and possibly reach awesome. out to you. I think that'd be fun. Perfect. So let me go ahead and shift gears here because yeah. You know, part of our offline conversation, you have shared with me that you are what you call yourself like an accidental entrepreneur. I mean, you have been a certified tour guide and have worked in the tour guide industry professionally, you know, with organizations uh, for some time now. But then you found yourself in entrepreneurship. So tell, tell us that story. And and I also what I also like about your story, I'm going to kind of like tease at people here is that it wasn't even like this grand gesture of getting into entrepreneurship. You just accidentally fell into it. So tell us about that. So when I became a tour guide, my goal, my plan, you know how plans are, was to be a contractor with other tour companies. So there's a, you know, every single tour company out there has to have tour guides. And there's tour guides who will take you to the national parks. And there's tour guides or tour directors who will take you to see the fall colors in New England. And there's tour guides who will show students around Washington, D.C. And most of those tour guides are working contractually or as employees for other companies. And that was always my plan. You know, my prior my prior experience with being in the workforce was always as an employee. So that was just what I was familiar with. And it was plenty of opportunity out there. So my very, very first tour with a large group was supposed to be March 18th, 2020. Mm. That did not happen. <laughs> I was saying, oh, that sounds like an interesting date. Right. <laughs> yeah. That did not happen. And so I was, you know, home like everybody else. I learned to bake bread in a Dutch oven and I did puzzles and all those good things. And then my husband was home a lot too. He was actually working outside of the Intel world for a little while in a policy thing. So he could actually work a bit from home. And so he was only going to the office every so often. They were kind of rotating. And so he was here and I was just antsy. I'm like, I just developed all these skills and, you know, attained all this knowledge and I want to share it with people. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, in some of the Facebook groups that I'm in and such, I'm watching all of these military families still moving to the national capital region. And they're so bored and they're so lonely and their kids aren't going to school and they're not meeting their neighbors. And their household goods are taking forever. So they're sleeping on, you know, inflatable mattresses. And mm. I said, I told my husband, like, I have this skill and I see this group of people who could take advantage of it because we were allowed to be outside together in the summer of 2020. We had to be masked. And I ended up investing in like a like audio devices so that I had a transmitter and people had receivers so that we could be socially distanced. But that came later. First, I was just like, well, what if I just like form an LLC and and start offering to take military people for a walk, you know, like, and teach them to ride Metro. And my husband was super encouraging. He's, he is so encouraging of everything that I'm doing. He's my biggest champion and he's my Hoover. He drops me off and picks me up whenever he can hit my husband Uber. Love it. Uber. And I, so, I just connected it. I love that. Okay, yeah. Go on. My Hoover, my husband Uber. <laughs> So I put together this LLC in like January to April. It was not easy. It was hard to open a business bank account in COVID. So things took time. I, uh, But eventually I got it all lined up and I offered a few 
kind of practice tours to some people who had been cheering me on from this one particular Facebook group called GAMS. <laughs> and I practiced a little bit, figured out what I needed to work on, figured out what worked, what didn't. And then uh, I think in September of 2020, I actually started like charging for tours. And I worked the whole time. I, and my so many of my tour guide friends and peers were, you know, a little jelly because I had found a way to continue to work and so many of them were really suffering or had had to move on to other other work. You know, if they were the primary wage earner in their household, they were doing becoming flight attendants or, you know, working in grocery stores, you know, all those kinds of things. And I was able to practice my craft. And now Dawn the Tour Guide, which is the name of my company, is my COVID silver lining. It's the best thing that came out of COVID for me. Yeah. And and tell us a little bit about how, because I know that what I have often found in the entrepreneurial journey is that you do not do it alone. So in addition, or you, you have like support for that. So in addition to, you know, your husband slash Huber, you know, being your champion and support system, I'm sure that there are other people who have helped you. And I know that uh, the Rosie Network was part of that, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So at that same time, when I was putting out these little inquiries on that, again, that one Facebook group, GAMS, which has thousands of yeah. spouses in the D.C. area in it, I was like, I'm thinking about doing this. If I did this, would you guys show up? Like, should I? And I got tons of encouragement from that whole community. And then one person hopped in there and said, hey, if you're thinking of starting a business, you should apply to the Rosie Network. I never heard of it. I immediately Googled it. And I think I applied that day. And it just so happened that the cohort that was at Fort Belvoir was like getting ready to interview. I mean, the timing, everything just lined out perfectly. I was accepted into that cohort. It was an incredible cohort. I am still friends with many of the women who were in that cohort with me. We It happened to all be women. I know not all cohorts are like that, but ours was. And I just got so much encouragement and garnered so much wisdom from everybody who was a part of that journey with me. And I'm so grateful. And the Rosie Network has continued to be very supportive of me since then. You know, they're the yeah. ones who connected me with you. Oh, y'all. Well, y'all welcome. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I am curious to know. So I think what's amazing about your story, because I, I definitely heard, you know, let's say some people go through the cohort program and it's their first time being an entrepreneur. And so some of them don't actually end up pursuing their business. It was more of like education. It's like, oh, okay, so this is mm -hmm. what it would take. But like you already had what it took. I mean, you had the experience, you have the credibility, you know, the licensing, like, you know, the experience. And so I guess what I'm most curious about is what are maybe one of the two or three or main thing that you learned going through the Rosie Network? So I think for me, I had a whole lot of enthusiasm, but not a whole lot of organization. You know, I really had never even worked in a for-profit business besides this gift shop in Old Town Alexandria, where I worked for a couple of years as a salesperson. And, you know, the owner of the store, we're great friends, but she would get so frustrated with me because she'd be like, if they bring up the platter, tell them there's a matching bowl. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> like, I'm just not. If they don't want the bowl, like I can't push it on them. <laughs> and so I couldn't upsell, you know, I was just the worst um, in that regard. And so that was just not something that I had any knowledge about. And uh, so just the basics of like getting a mission statement, putting together a foundation, you know, building a skeleton upon which to build my business. I don't know how I would have done that because it was not something. And if they hadn't held my feet to the fire, if I had just like watched a YouTube video and learned what to do, I would not have done it. So I needed the accountability of the Rosie Network. 
and the accountability, like having to meet up with my cohort and like, you know, I didn't want to have to say I didn't do my homework. Yeah. So yeah. it was, uh, I think for me, the education about being a business owner, like little, you know, I mean, like we learned about insurance, like that is so boring to me, but I understand it's essential and I have it. I'm proud to say. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, all of those things that are not innately part of just even my, I don't think my basic makeup as a human, the Rosie Network made sure I knew about all those things. And then they made sure that I was actually doing those things. And then they helped, gave me feedback and helped me get just the right mission statement and all of those things. And I can tell you, I would not have done all of that without them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to hear the mentorship for you when, you know, going back to your store and how you couldn't sell that extra dish, you know, to complement yeah. that one dish. Like, what was the mentorship for you that you learned in the Rosie Network to be like, like I can't upsell? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that if anyone from my Rosie Network cohort is watching this, they're still going to say that I'm not charging enough. I know they will. <laughs> they are all just like, you need to charge more. You need to know your worth. You need to, you know, and I know they're not wrong. And I have raised my prices once just so they know. Y'all but, it here. <laughs> exactly. But I also, it's also really, really important to me because I would say probably, and I'm, I'm totally estimating here, but I've said probably 80% of my private business, because I still do do that contracting work as well. I still do do that. <laughs> so I have a lot of variety in my work, which I really love. Yeah. But in my private business, I would say probably 80% of my clientele, my guests are military affiliated. Love it. And it's really, really important to me that anyone can afford my services. I want every single family who moves to the Washington DC area, who's interested in getting a tour to be able to go. And so I'm conscientious about not overpricing and knocking out a portion of the people who I'm trying to serve because I definitely have like a, a service motivation. My motivation is to serve. And I think you can see that in all the other careers that I had before. And you know, when I was in the homeschool community, I ended up as the president of my homeschool group, you know, just like, love it. Yeah, thanks. My family was like, what are you doing? But I don't know. That's just kind of who I am. And so I have raised my prices, but I want <laughs> to remain in a place where everyone who wants to can head out with me. And because I have a soft spot for homeschoolers, I even do like a special pricing for homeschoolers because, you know, per person pricing for a family with one income and six kids is a lot. Yeah. And I still want their kids to be able to get out too. So I'll do special programs for homeschool communities. So I don't know that I truly learned all of the lessons <laughs> of being an entrepreneur. And let's be honest, I have another huge advantage compared to some of my cohorts or some not cohorts like my Rosie cohorts, but my peers in the tour guiding community. While my income is significantly contributing to my household, I am not the primary wage earner. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I would probably have to operate a little bit differently if I was, but I have that freedom. Yeah. And I know that we mentioned this a little offline, but like you definitely are doing for yourself, you're doing a lot better financially than prior to being an entrepreneur. And I love hearing how even as an entrepreneur, you still get contracted to work for other companies. And so I think the important thing when we talk about even financial awareness is recognizing like, where are your sources of income coming from? And part of your fortunate situation is, you know, having your husband as part of the breadwinner. And I think that that is completely okay, because I somehow I feel like when people get into entrepreneurship, they think that they need to like be the number one breadwinner or like, you know, make a million dollars. And it's really just about 
like knowing like what works best for you and your family and how you want to contribute. And, you know, there's so many layers to it. But to think that entrepreneurship is like, okay, I'm going to replace my husband's income. I'm going to retire him. He's going to stay home. Like you don't have to go there. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I don't have to do that. And and here's another thing I learned a long time ago, but I struggle with it all the time. And I think a lot of us do. I don't know if it's ego or what, but you know, I did figure out a long time ago that just because I can do something doesn't mean I have to do it. And so, you know, people will be like, you could take over the world. And I'm like, maybe I could, but I don't yeah. think I want to. Exactly. You know, I I like to have some work-life balance. You know, my husband and I, we like each other. I don't always want to be on tour. Like, I don't go over the road a lot. You know, a lot of my friends travel for tour guiding. I don't do that very much. I like my bed. I like my pillow. Could I be making more money if I went over the road? possibly, but it's just not my primary motivation. It is one of many motivations. And so like, I'm so proud after 15 years of you know not earning $50. <laughs> I love, I yeah. love buying my husband a gift with money that I earned. I love feeling like I helped pay for our vacation or, or I helped pay for the stupid new car that we had to buy because our old one didn't pass inspection. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, like the fact that I have an income made that less painful in a time when we really weren't planning to do that. So I know that I'm contributing in meaningful ways to my family because of what I'm doing. And that's enough. That's enough for me. There you go. Period. We're done. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I love that. I love that. And, I, you know, that's definitely one of the themes we hope to cover on the show when we speak with people like you, Don, is like being financially content. I think that's kind of the word that d just came to mind what? for me. It's like it's not having to make all the big bucks. And yes, you could, like you said, like I could, if there's a possibility, but I'm content. I'm content with our yeah. circumstances. I'm content. I want to have a good work-life balance. I like my husband. You know, like I want to spend yeah. time with him. And yeah. I... I really like that. I like that a lot because it feels like there's like a steadiness with you, like a, like a level of contentment and satisfaction. And yes, we can also say that, there, you know, some days you want more or less or whatever, but it sounds like you know who you are. And I know we talked about this offline as well, but like you, you really are kind of in the best season of your life right now, like doing something you love as well as, you know, making a living with it. Yeah, I definitely like I have had such a beautiful life. I mean, it's, it's not that it hasn't had its down points. It has. And it's suffering. It has. But I'm just I'm so loved by really wonderful people. And I've had incredible adventures. You know, I loved being a mom. I loved being a homeschool mom, all of those things. But I have never felt so much myself as I do right now. Mm -hmm. like I just am in a place in my life where I am getting to be me. Yeah. And it's incredible and it's kind of fun. And I sort of like me and not that I wasn't me before I was me, but I was me, you know, running my my household. I was me educating my child. I was me, you know, yeah. doing all of the things that we do when we're younger. And all of a sudden I'm sort of free to make a lot of choices that are just about me and don't necessarily have a whole lot to do with anybody else. And I'm not sure that I've ever really been in that position, you know, and I think maybe when I was, you know, just in my 20s out of college, I probably kind of was in that place, but I was chasing a lot of things. I wanted to grow up. I wasn't financially stable in the way that I am now. So decisions were a lot more limited, you know, choices, I guess, were a lot more limited. So yeah, like I was just telling somebody the other day, I'm 53 years old and it was one of the bus drivers that I work with and he was teasing me. He's like, well, you're probably 29. And I'm like, no, 
Mm-mm. I wouldn't be 29 again for anything, yeah. like for anything. I am so cool with being 53. I just am. I just, I'm in a good place. Yeah. It sounds like you acknowledge and appreciate your journey up to this point. And now you love who you are now. You know, you also love who yeah. you are now. And I think that's, that's beautiful to be so present in that way. And I agree with Thanks. you. Like I'm in my thirties and I feel like twenties for me was, it was just, you know, like you said, it's a time of growth. It's a time of chasing things. It's a time of establishing yourself. And I feel like now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, I just feel more relaxed than I feel like I've ever been in my life. I mean, you know, I know yeah. I have a long way to go, but like for now, yeah. it's like, you know what? I like this version where it doesn't feel like I have to chase. You know, I can just take it easy. Like I know I'm loved. I know I'm cared for. I'm provided for. I'm pursuing the yeah. things that I enjoy. And that is enough. That, that is enough. And and I hear that a lot from your from your story as well, Don. Thanks. Yes, I agree. And and I will say that if, you know, I because I have been pressed, like, if you could stay any age forever, what would it be? And so 35 is where I landed. Oh, so, okay. uh, so I think you, there <laughs> you go. So you're in you're right in that space. But it's exactly what you just described. I remember being 35, you know, my body was still young, you know, but I felt very established. I felt my confidence levels were high, you know, like I knew who I was, mm-hmm. probably not in the way that I know who I am today, but enough that I felt on solid ground. Yeah. So yeah, if when pressed, 35 is where I go, but I really don't mind being the opposite of that, I guess, at 53. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's very inspiring. And, you know, part of my joy of interviewing military spouses is just hearing <laughs> this wisdom <laughs> and this satisfaction and contentment with your season and stage of life. Just yeah. continues to inspire me to appreciate my own journey and where I'm at right now. So thank you for mm-hmm. that. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, Don, I feel like there are so many takeaways from your story that we can share with our military community specifically. And one of them is that the fact that mobile career opportunities exist, especially for military yes. spouses. So let's talk a little bit about why you would recommend a military spouse to get into the tour guide industry. Absolutely. I would love to do and you know, even just from a selfish standpoint, you know, as my company has kind of grown, I have entertained bringing on other tour guides. But because I feel like I have this niche kind of situation, I feel like I really want to bring on other military spouses, you know, even if you know, they don't have to be active duty, it could be retired. I mean, we're headed in that direction. And so I feel like there's a special connection between me and the military families that I serve. And if I was to bring other tour guides on, with any kind of regularity, I think that that connection would be an important one. So I'd love just selfishly to see more military spouses doing this work. But when I first decided to go into tour guiding, I did not realize that we would be staying here for as long as we have. We've been here for six years now. And now we're looking at retiring and staying in this area. Again, you know how plans are, but that is the plan, which is awesome because that means I get to keep doing this here. But the reality is I could do this anywhere. For one thing, if we moved to some place that didn't have a tourism industry, I could primarily just do the over the road work. And and I know the companies that I work for here in DC, a few of them would fly me out here to work for them. They're not going to let me go just because I don't live locally anymore. So that would be an option for me. But you know, any place that has history, you can set up a little walking tour company, or you can go work at a local museum. You know, I know I wouldn't have been able to do the work that I do now when I had a young child. But had he been in school during the day, I could have worked part time at a local museum or for a local walking tour company that did morning walks or there's just so many different ways that this can look. 
and grow and change over time. I mean, you know, I sometimes walk 12 miles a day right now. I may reach a point where that's not an option for me. And then I could go back into possibly working in a museum or in a, you know, a national park setting, even as a volunteer. There's just so many places and ways that these skills are transferable and flexible. And, you know, it was something I could have even done had we gone back overseas, because as long as I was working for an American company, I would have been able to continue to work. So it just feels, especially overseas, military spouses are so limited in, in what they can do professionally or just even to get out of the house. And we don't all want to work at the PX. Yeah. You know, and while that gives you community and, and that's worth a got value, there should be other options for us, I think. And this, I feel like, is one of them that people don't really know about. And also, there's a million different ways to be a great tour guide. If anyone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, but I'm not like Dawn, like Dawn is different from me. That's OK. There are a million ways to be a successful tour guide. It's all about intention and interest in the guest experience. If you care about people and you're interested in anything, it doesn't have to be history. It can be, you can work in a nature park and talk about trees. If people are interested in that and you're interested in them, you can win. So I wish more people knew about it and were pursuing it. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, that also reminds me that part of your story is thinking outside of the box. You know, like I know that for you, you knew that you wanted to work with people. You started to have a love for history and you just needed to find an outlet. Even though you did not know that something like this existed, it took you talking to someone about it for them to say, hey, you know, you could actually get licensed in tour guide uh, to become a tour guide um, a tour guide expert, I guess you would say, a tour guide. And so tell us a little bit about the importance of, you know, encouraging our military community to think outside of the box and the benefits of that. Uh, yeah, I think that thinking outside of the box is very liberating, uh, especially for military spouses, because there are so many limitations as we move around with our service member that impede our ability to succeed often in more traditional ways. Not because we don't have the capacity, but we just don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the access, continuous access to opportunity. You know, some people who are licensed, you know, you're licensed to be a teacher or a nurse in one state. You move to another state, you're no longer licensed to do that. This licensing, you know, sometimes like in Washington, D.C., you have to have a special license to tour guide in Washington, D.C., but it's incredibly easy to get. Other cities don't have those licenses at all. So I think that honestly, and I almost hate to say it because I don't encourage this, but You can actually be a a tour guide without even going through any kind of certification. I don't encourage that. I think a a well-trained tour guide really matters because you learn a lot about the ethics of tour guiding. You learn a lot about the courtesy of tour guiding. You learn a lot about how to use language in, in ways that are powerful and meaningful and thoughtful. And, you know, that's not our job as tour guides is never to tell people how to think. It's not our job to share our opinions. It's not our job to say, this is how you should feel about this. And this is how you should feel about that. It's our job to give them the information and invite them to engage in some critical thinking or some imaginative thinking to come to their own conclusions. And training helps you build those skills. Also, usually when you're in a training environment, you get connected to a group of tour guides who are going through it with you. And those people become some of your best friends in the industry. You find each other jobs. You connect each other to opportunities. The networking that comes through that training is difficult to build outside of it because it grows. You know, your peers, they just share those connections with you until your world is 
you know, sometimes I'm out in DC and my guests, the group that I'm with, they're like, do you know everybody? I'm like, not everybody, but, you know, because I'm constantly running into my friends. We're all at Arlington Cemetery. We're all down at the Lincoln Memorial. I know a lot of the coach, motor coach operators who drive the buses that keep us safe and get us where we need to go. And I know people in the venues that we visit on a regular basis. And and all of that started with those first relationships that I made in my training. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of which, that also reminds me about one, thinking outside the box and two, talking about your wants and you know, the fact that you have people that you can still call friends and kind of like an extended family, you know, shows that you were very vocal about wanting the things that you want, even if at the time you didn't fully know that it was going to end up, you know, becoming a licensed tour guide. Yeah, well, I think I knew that. I mean, no, I just know me. I'm not one to sit still. I'm terrible at pop culture because I don't really watch television. I, you know, I, I haven't even been to a movie theater. I don't know. I mean, definitely pre-COVID. I just, I'm a, like a voracious audiobook listener and I love on my time off to go, like last weekend, my husband and I went and took a tour of the Kennedy Center because I'd never had an official tour. Like that's literally what I do in my time off. And so I just knew I wasn't going to be happy if I didn't have a purpose after my son was gone from the house. And if I'm not happy, everybody's miserable, you know? And my husband comes home and I'm grouchy and I'm, you know, bored and that's just ugly. So I knew, and that was part of why I started working in the gift shop even before my son went away to college was just because I knew that I needed those relationships and I needed people who were waiting for me and counting on me. And that gift shop is really where I started to learn the history of Alexandria, which I am very competent Alexandria tour guide now. And and that time at the Old Town Shop is what kind of got me my foundation in that regard. But I also knew that retail sales wasn't really like fill in my cup. So yeah, I encourage everybody to find their passion and pursue it and do it in a way that enhances the lives of the people around you, not in a selfish way, but in a way that serves you and fills your cup so that then you just have more to give, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you can't fill other people's cup from an empty cup, right? It has to be overflowing. And um, yeah, well, wow, Don, what an incredible story. What an incredible journey. And becoming an accidental entrepreneur and just being where you're at today, you know, your self-awareness, your financial contentment, you know, with where you're at and the ability to kind of like the healthy, um, I'm going to call it like the healthy anxiousness to not stay still is really what got you to be where you are today and to stay active and hands on with your life. And I'm just in admiration of it. And I really do appreciate sharing your story with us. And, you know, as we start to wrap up here, I I just want to make sure that you said everything you wanted to say for your story today. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before I turn the tables and see if you have a question for me? (laughs) I don't think so. I feel like we've really touched on a lot of things here. I would just like to invite anyone who might be listening to this, any, you know, military spouse or anybody who's kind of curious about the tourism industry to, or specifically tour guiding, not just the tourism industry, but specifically being a tour guide or a tour director, to feel free to reach out to me. Everything is Dawn the Tour Guide, all my socials on Facebook and Instagram and my website. It's all Dawn the Tour Guide, so I'm pretty easy to find. And I'm happy to answer questions about what this career looks like and how it works and how it might work in different phases and stages. And if you're interested in training programs, I can recommend a couple that I've had a personal experience with. It would be my pleasure to do that and bring you into the into the fold 
even if you don't end up pursuing it, you know, if you're just curious, I would, uh, and if you're in the DC area and you're really curious, I wouldn't mind having a small team of contractual military spouse tour guides who are able to help me. Cause like I do multi-day student tours. I just came off of one two days ago. I go back out on Tuesday. And so when I'm doing that for four days in a row, working 14 hour days, you know, I'm not available to do private tours. So if I had some people who wanted to do that, I would love to work with them. Yeah. And I'd love to encourage them. Well, there you have it. As I add for our listeners here, reach out to Don. Yeah. The guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Don. And obviously, if someone wants a tour, they can contact me too. I guess Absolutely. I should actually sell my business. <laughs> there you go. This is your cohort member saying, Don, remember to promote yourself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and oh, by the way, I, you can pay me to show you around if you want to. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, Don, I just want to take this final opportunity to, you know, turn the table around and just see if you had any questions for me as the host of the show. Any questions are, I mean, I'll let you know if I'm okay with it. But yeah, if you have any questions, I'm open to hearing it. (laughs) Well, I think it's funny because when you kind of warned me that you were going to ask me that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I have any questions. But (laughs) as we've been talking, I do kind of have a question and it's very specific to my story. Yeah. And to your story, because you shared that you're going to be coming up here. So I'm curious if you do make your way up here and you did want to see something new and different, like what do you think you would be most interested in? Because it's just so endless up here, the things yeah. that you could do. You know, I went to D.C. a couple years ago. I um, actually went to Arlington. OK, funny story. So for my birthday a couple years ago in December. So my birthday is um, December 15. And okay. my husband thought it would be a great idea to go to the Arlington <laughs> Cemetery and place wreaths on the cemeteries. And and I was open to it because I, I am a Gold Star family member and my dad's cemetery or his marker is in Fort Rosecrans in San Diego. And I, I never knew that the community would put wreaths on the markers. And I just thought that was so thoughtful around the holiday season. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. So I come out, you know, we go to Arlington and it just rains all day. <laughs> Like it's just pouring, it's just pouring oh, rain no. all day. And it was funny because I, I mean, I was fortunate because I have like two high school, like two friends from high school, like happened to be, live out in DC and decided to come celebrate my birthday with me and like put these wreaths out as well. But we were just all so drenched. And then we went to the Abe Lincoln Monument because that was like the one place where we could avoid the rain kind of thing. Yeah, you could go inside. <laughs> so all that being said, I feel like, I mean, I, I still got a lot of, out of that experience. And, you know, I, I am a winter baby, so I'm not like, you know, depressed. I wasn't sad that it was like raining. If anything, it just made for an Nothing. even more interesting experience. Like, yeah, I'm going to a right. cemetery on my birthday and it's raining. Yeah. It's great. But I think for me, like if I were to go, yeah, when I go to D.C., I think I would like a, a very like, like 101 like mm-hmm. level tour because I'm bringing mm-hmm. my friend from California who has my same <laughs> California education, putting that in quotes yeah. here. And I think it'd be great to just have that 101 like tour. So what would that look like if you were to, uh, I guess, tour us? Well, I guess what are those right. go-to? Pl- that, that, that's what I'm really curious about. It's like, what are like the initial takeaways we should take from D.C.? I think, yeah. I mean, given what you just explained to me, and by the way, just side note, Wreaths Across America, amazing. I love participating in that. I love that every year, every single name in that Arlington, that cemetery, every single veteran's yeah. name gets said aloud. I love touring in Arlington. I love taking people there. So that's a really, really special and cool experience. And I actually want to try to facilitate making it easier for local families to get out and do that because yeah. it can be kind of intimidating. So it's one of my dreams is to make that an easier access for folks. But that was a, an aside. So I think based on what you just said, 
probably like a just a straight up national mall tour where we mm. talk about you know you get you I mean it's a long time and you can do it over a course of a day with a few breaks or whatever but you know you can go from the supreme court to the white house to the lincoln memorial there's places where you can get up high and take in views and see that national cathedral up on the hilltop there's places where you can you know find little hidden treasures in some of the monuments and memorials that people don't necessarily know about if no one's there to share it with you <laughs> and on a beautiful day in september it's way nicer yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes exactly then like what i'm going to be doing with my sweet sweet school from iowa next week when they're all just going to be out there like you know i'm just going to be constantly forcing hydration on uh, them yeah august yeah yeah but there's so much to see up close and personal on the national mall and i know for some people that probably feels a little cliche mm-hmm. but i really think that there's so many other stories that you can learn about in Washington, D.C., and, and it's endless. But I think that those foundational things are what help the rest of the stories. Give mm. the rest of the stories context. Context yeah. is everything. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I'll definitely keep that in mind. And, yeah. um, you know, I have your contact now. So You do. And if you don't contact me, I won't be mad. I know there's only so much time. I was Absolutely. just curious. Like, I wonder yeah. what she'd be interested in seeing because it's those are hard choices to make. There's yeah, a lot here. Because my mindset is, okay, my friend, like we're, we're actually, this is like really random, but we're going to DC or Mechanicsville, I think more specifically to run a Spartan race, like a 5K with a bunch of oh, obstacles. Yeah. It's muddy. It's disgusting, but it's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day she wanted to spend a day in DC. So that's partly why I'm asking because it's like, what can we cover? <laughs> like how much ground can we actually cover in a day? So I do appreciate yeah. that recommendation and we'll definitely keep that in mind. Sounds good. Well, Don, okay. what wow, what a pleasure. Thank you for, you know, educating me on the tour guide industry. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for humanizing history. And it just you, you make it more interesting and I'm intrigued and it's been such a pleasure having you on our show. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been really fun. My pleasure. Hey, this is your host, Jen Amos. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Visit holdingdownthefortpodcast.com to access the full show notes of this episode, including resources mentioned and bonus content. Once again, that's holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. Lastly, stay after this outro music for something a little extra. Thanks again and chat soon. Bye for now. I'm back and welcome to the post commentary. I think I'm going to call this section the post commentary for now until one of my listeners, one of you out there comes up with a clever post commentary title for the section. For now, I'm just going to call it the post commentary after my conversation with Don Bryant. And I want to first start by saying thank you. Thank you for making it this far. Thank you for listening to this conversation 
I hope that my audio quality wasn't too much of a distraction. I hope that you still got a ton of value and motivation and inspiration from Don's story. I do, again, want to thank my editor for doing what he can to condense my part of our recording so that you don't hear the quality of my audio as much and you can focus mainly on Don's story. And I will talk about this more in the podcast portal, especially for anyone who wants to start podcasting, but you're stifled because you're like maybe a perfectionist and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to start a podcast if I'm going to end up like Jen and her audio quality. (laughs) And so I want to explain more about what happened and also hopefully give you some inspiration to do it anyway, you know, to fail forward, to, you know, to just roll with it. Because here's a quick thing I'll say for now, or, or a couple things. The first thing is, I've come to learn that being in business for about 13 years and being a podcaster for the last four years, a good mantra that I tend to live by nowadays is, it goes like this, done is better than perfect. I'll say that again, done is better than perfect. And I also heard this from another guy who said, 70% perfection is perfect. And the whole meaning behind these two phrases is that getting something completed and put out there is better than not putting it out there at all. And so I hope that you appreciate it. I hope that you appreciate that there's been a lot. I hope that you recognize and understand that there was a lot of love and heart and labor put into this show. And hey, if you actually got something out of this conversation, that is all I care about. You know, that is all I care about. And if you did, then I've done my part. And I just want to thank you for sticking it through. Now, as I mentioned in the podcast portal, I will be giving my commentary on my private tour with Dawn in D.C. because I had the fortune of visiting her in mid-September. And I'm just so excited to tell you all about it. So I haven't done it yet. At the time of this recording, I haven't done it yet. (laughs) That's why I'm teasing at this. And I'm excited to fill you all in in the podcast portal. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening more to talk about later. Until then, chat with you in the next episode. Bye for now.